Thank you, Darren and Jared, Tommy, Perry, and Carol um, for leading um, as I stand here today while uh, Andy and his family are on vacation. So, this morning uh, we're going to be in John chapter 7, the very end, through, um, through chapter 8, verse 11. I was talking with Carol, and while you're um, turning in your Bibles, your apps, uh, I was talking with Carol last night. Uh, this month marks 10 years that we have been in Nashville. We lived here in Nashville. And so I was thinking about this passage and a little bit about that, about how we first moved here. When Carol started work, somebody gave her a list of coffee shops because they knew that Carol and I like coffee, and especially me, and how much I've gotten into that. And um, even back in 2012, there was a fairly good list of, of coffee places in Nashville, and so I began to work my way through them. And um, one of them was a place called Barista Parlor, which is in East Nashville, but now they've opened several more around the city, and there's different places you can go. But as I went in, I realized very quickly I didn't really belong here. I walk in, it's very urban, hipster. Uh, it, it was in a, it's the one in East Nashville that's in a converted garage, and so it's, um, the floors look like this, but it's very um, rustic wood and just way too cool for someone of my age, and uh, I don't wear uh, super skinny jeans or the the, the hats, uh, I'm, I'm not cool in any way, and so I felt very out of place uh, as much as I enjoyed the breakfast and the coffee there. As you're turning into your Bibles and wondering why I'm relaying that story, you may see a parenthetical note um, in your Bibles about this passage when it reaches chapter 8, about how early manuscripts do not contain this section starting in chapter 7, verse 53, I believe, down to chapter 8, verse 11. And so, just a quick note, it's not going to be on the screen. Um, I just want to say that scholars throughout centuries have looked into this. Um, there's no real dispute on whether this happened it, it follows in line of who Jesus is. And so there is some question, did John write it? Does it belong here? Does it belong in somewhere else in John? Does it belong in Luke? And so, um, so if you see that parenthetical note and see me skip it, if that's in your Bible, I wanted to make note. And so you understand that, that, that scholars throughout the years um, have looked it over and deemed it credible. Um, but the note is there as to the location of where it falls chronologically. Maybe it falls in between 7 and uh, 12, and maybe it doesn't, but nonetheless, no one, um, some have put it in different places, but this is kind of a historical place where most scholars agree that it takes place. So, with that note aside, let me pray for us um, as we look into God's Word this morning. God, I pray that um, you would bring truths to light this morning. God, that as we look through this together, as we study your word together, that, Holy Spirit, you would um, teach us 
the ways of the Father. That you would reveal the ways that Christ, um, how He acted in these moments, how He responded, and stir within our hearts how we are to respond in similar ways as to He did. To exemplify and to model the heart and mind of Christ as He did, as He lived here. And so um, we ask that you would, as we pray every week, Father, open us up to the truth of your word and that we would live in accordance to it and that you would receive glory and honor and praise. Jesus, we thank you, we love you. It is in your name we pray these things. Amen. Also, uh, Adam, um, I have made the mistake of multiple sheets. I will do my best to stay on track. I know, and I tried to, and I tried to, I tried. Uh, John chapter 7, beginning in verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Side note. Jesus is in the temple, he's been teaching, and the Pharisees and the scribes have sent uh, the, the temple guards to go and arrest Jesus. They've had enough of him, and so they want him brought in. So, the guards come back, the Pharisees ask, why didn't you bring him in? Verse 46, their response. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guard replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Verse 53, then they all went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So, as we ask every week, 
What does this say about God? What does this say about humanity? And I am going to try and write this neatly and correctly as we go, but know that I will probably mess this up at some point, being very uh, unfamiliar with using a pen and an iPad. So, asking forgiveness for that point, what does this say about God? What does this say about us? Jesus, and I've already messed up. There we go. Jesus gives sinners a chance, I believe that if I heard that right, chance to repent. So here's one of the things that is obvious to us is Jesus um, commands the woman. The woman is caught in adultery. And the, the Pharisees aren't wrong here. There, there is a law in the Old Testament that allows and actually commands for the stoning. Um, as I was studying through this and kind of looking at different commentaries and what they say, um, this particular stoning fit under a category of of the woman being betrothed to someone but not married yet. There was a different punishment if you were married. So uh, many scholars believe that this was the case. So number one, it begs the question, where's the man? Because the, the law of Moses also commanded the stoning of the man as well. But the obvious forgiveness that we see here is, is for the woman, Right? And so Jesus gives her a chance and he says, I no longer condemn you, go and sin no more. But the less obvious one is the one he gives to the Pharisees in saying that, okay, go ahead and stone her. And they don't. And, they, and Jesus allows them to walk away, right? I mean... If they were not without sin, if, if they chose not to throw the stones, then that means they didn't feel comfortable carrying out the judgment because of the own sin, not just of any kind of general sin, because that's something that's also thought of and believed, is that Jesus was kind of specifically talking, okay, if you don't have this same adulterous sin in your heart, go ahead. And they couldn't even clear that hurdle. And so the fact that Jesus doesn't stone them <laughs> means he's giving them grace as well, the opportunity to repent as well as the woman. Jesus gives sinners a chance to repent. What else do we see?
Yeah. So to, to quote that verse, God uses um, the lowly and despised how accustomed we become to autocorrect. Um, <laughs> questioning how to spell despise things. Um, we'll say, first off, to glorify, well, yeah, this is going to be a little bit longer. To glorify himself, And shame the wise by, I'll put worldly, worldly, the wise by worldly standards. So, um, so they do this to Nicodemus, right? Um, that's, that's where this begins, at least. In this passage, um, they tell Nicodemus There's something good that comes out of Galilee. <laughs> have you have you seen Galilee? Like those people are, they're not worthy of this. So there is an elitism, there is prejudice that's in their hearts already. You know, before they get to the stoning, much less how they treat the woman as well. And so, so God uses these things because. When, when we see him use these things, it, it astounds, it, it confounds the, the world. It, it doesn't make sense that God would use these things. It's, it's any time that we, we would put, with, if, with our earthly wisdom, with our worldly wisdom, any time that we would say, that makes sense, that, that suddenly God... His glory is diminished because of that. Because we can, we can just do this on our own. I, so, I had this same discussion a little bit, and we may launch into it already. <laughs> One of the points I was going to do later is that I have typically been um, in my years of ministry. Um, I've done almost exclusively been some kind of worship leader, music minister, whatever term it is that you prefer to, to use, where I've done that either um, mostly on part-time basis, mostly for churches who really couldn't afford like a church plant or a small church, or I've done an interim here or there, um, fill-ins, those kinds of things have typically what, what I've done. Um, coming here and taking a role of pastor and um, even though it's more of an um, administrative role, more of a pastoral role as far as a day-to-day -day kind of thing, taking on some of the administrative things, taking on some of the, um, the, the pastoral and care side of that, is not something that I've particularly aspired to, um, I've always been fine as my role as the guy who stands over here behind the keyboard. I feel much more comfortable there than I do behind this, uh, this table here. 
But one of the things I told our, our community group as I was leading Wednesday night is that one of the things that even though I'm kind of in 30 years of, of being on some portion of church staff, um, one of the things that really surprised me in this role is the tension of feeling like I'm doing too much and not enough at the same time. Of that I'm either trying to manufacture outcomes or, and I'm not really trusting in God, I'm, I'm striving too hard in my own will, in my own way, and, and not allowing God to work in that moment. Or I feel like I'm sitting too much back and not taking some amount of personal responsibility for what I'm doing with the time given me. And so that was something I didn't see coming. Like, I, I saw some things that I knew would be um, hard transitions, but that's something I didn't see. And so worldly wisdom says, no, 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 you got you to gotta keep at it. You got you to gotta keep working. If you're not, you're, you're not serving God enough like that. We, as church staff, we get that too. Like, oh, man, I'm just not, I'm not serving enough. Like, I'm not working hard enough. I'm, I'm taking advantage of the time. And so it becomes this, this performance trap that, that we try and that we try and minimize in this place as much as possible and allow God to do the work. And so, um, so for me, one of the things, again, that you could, uh, I would say, yeah, here's, here's something you can pray for me about. <laughs> it is that. I mean, I really felt that last week when, when Andy was, was up here and, and talking about, um, you know, just because we're here in this spot doesn't mean that we're, and I'm going to change it to I at this point because I'm the one here, that I'm this great pillar of anything except, um, uh, except trying to do things on my own. Like, I, I seek the, the path of comfort and ease and, and selfishness and comfort and like those are in me just as much as it is as it is in any of us and so when we get to one of the things that we're we're doing as a group is going through first corinthians this summer and we were actually in i actually debated on on after starting it last week of not going to chapter two but going to john chapter eight and saying hey you guys helped me write my sermon but i didn't and i thought and chapter two isn't really going to um, apply. We'll we'll just do First Corinthians chapter two, and it will be fine. It will be a good time of studying together and learning God. But it's not really going to help me on Sunday. And here we are, <laughs> pulling First Corinthians chapter two on Sunday morning. This is this is the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. It's it's what Andy was talking about when when they went to Peru and for some unknown reason chose Proverbs chapter four to study. Uh, that seemed very difficult, but then talking about there's a way that seems wise to the world, and there's a way that is the wisdom of God that confounds that wisdom that is greater. And so in, in verse 6 here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
Paul says this, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. See, this is where Andy would circle things. By his spirit, right? Not, he revealed them only by his spirit. So only people who live by the spirit see these things. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit, I'm just going to start circling this every time we get to it, does things, uh, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. All right. I don't want to I don't want to dive way into this. This is not the intent this morning. But no one is unaware of decisions that were made two days ago by the Supreme Court. There have been a lot, a lot of, uh, if you are, if anyone is here on social media, uh, you've seen a lot of opinions. Um, you have seen on both sides a lot of earthly wisdom, a lot of earthly responses to earthly wisdom. And that brings us back to John chapter 8. Uh, in my mind. We are not short of stones. We have an unlimited supply of stones. And we are um, we are very apt at using them. Um, I I've been a little heartbroken, not because of where people stand, and I have beliefs on where our church believes where people should stand, but, but people's responses to one another, and not just world, but Christians' responses to each other, have, have really mimicked 
John chapter 8 here and not the Jesus side. There's been some of that, but, but it's just a reminder that, that there is a wisdom of this world that seems right to the world, and there is a wisdom of the Spirit that seems foolishness to the world and will always seem foolish to the world because they cannot discern what the Spirit teaches. And it will never make sense unless God reveals those things through His Spirit. And so, for those of us who do have the Spirit of God within us, it is up to us to live by that Spirit and to live according, to live as Jesus does, and to respond the way that He does. He doesn't hide from the fact that there is sin in this scenario. He does not just brush it away. He does not just excuse it in the sense of just saying, don't worry about it, just, just don't worry about it. Like the one who, and, and, and we're going into it now, so the one who has the ability and the authority to condemn does not, but all the while still says, but now, um, let me get down to it so we can see it. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now there is a command there. And it is a, yes, don't do this anymore. But it's not a, I hope we see that, that, that Jesus' response is not a, not a scolding and not a finger wagging. But it really is a, don't do this anymore because, because I'm, I'm better like, my love for you is better than the one you were seeking. My love for you goes deeper than any that you will find apart from me. And, and I hope we understand and realize that. I hope we really see in this passage, and, and again, <laughs> I re- as I talk with Andy on Thursday, and hey Andy, if you guys are watching in Florida, hope you all are having a good week. Um, a vacation, but it is the thing of like, okay, well, I've got this section in chapter 8 that I want to be where we focus today, but I feel like i got to go pick up this section in chapter 7, and then you're like, well, if I get that, then I really need to get, you know, what Jesus is teaching before the Pharisees show up, and if I get to the end of the story of the woman here in, in verse 11, then well, there's this whole debate about debate between Jesus and the Pharisees about who he really is, and I got <laughs> so you you have a hard time going where do I where do I cut it off right? And so um, I did kind of go okay, 45 to 11, I'll cut it there, and if I need to dive in further, I can. But but if we really did see the deep deep love and mercy of God, not just the woman, but to the Pharisees. And to the, the Jews who were at the temple during this time that, again, it says Jesus comes to the temple and they just start gathering around him. And rather than Jesus just keep moving, he, teach, he sits down and he teaches. And you see that many come to believe because of this. And so, so everywhere in this passage, and again, throughout the whole of the Bible, we see the constant grace and mercy of Jesus and of the Father. All right. Um, 
What else do we see? Maybe one or two more things. God is generous. Oh, I ran out of room. <laughs> generous. Um, yeah, God is generous. He is he's generous in all things. He's generous in love and in mercy. He's generous with himself. There's a there's a song we sing here um, that um, that that defines God as selfless. And there's a part of me that kind of lives in attention with that word to describe God. It's probably because we really don't have a good word because um, there's a there's a a preacher, a pastor, author um, that when when we describe God that that He exists for His glory, like He constantly God glorifies Himself. That's what He does, and that sounds very self-centered, right? That God, God, for my glory, for my glory. You see throughout Scripture, for my glory, and um, you know John Piper poses the question, like, well. Who else would you rather God give glory to? Like, like he's worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of it. And so he should give himself glory. And so in that, there's this term of selflessness that, that is, is a, 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 an uncomfortable word when I think about God. But, but again, I think it's because we just don't have something that, that fully encompasses in a word how God gives of himself, how he is so generous with, with everything, with, with, with his, his goodness, with his resources, which are immeasurable. Um, you know, we talk about, we, again, as the music guy, we sing a song that his mercy is more, that, that, that our sins are cast into an ocean with no depth, with no floor, with no bottom, it just, it's gone, it, it's, it's erased. God gives us the, the gift of, of, of life even in the midst of so much difficulty and hurt and turmoil. And I've been, it's been on my mind a lot recently um, as, as we have had a celebration of life in this room just a couple weeks ago for for less for one of our elders. Um, Carol and I were in California um, a few weeks ago. It was a work trip for her, um, and by extension me. Uh, but but we have some dear friends who are younger who live there, and um, they're probably in their early thirties maybe at this point. Um, they used to live here. We knew them here. They were newlyweds. And so as uh, we were kind of their sages, if, if you can call it that in your 40s, but you know, having 20-something years on them in marriage, we could offer them some, um, some advice, I guess, um, from where we've, where we've been and how difficult our marriage was early on and uh, the things that we faced. But we were so excited to get to see them 
because they, they live out in California, and the only time we see them is if they're here or we're there. And we were planning this uh, dinner on Wednesday night to go out, but it wound up being in a hospital um, because uh, she has been diagnosed with a rare blood cancer. And honestly, it's been a couple of years of trying to diagnose that, and, and she was in so much pain and wanted so badly to go hang with us and uh, to to go out and enjoy time together and we eventually wound up going to dinner with the husband just him and just trying to encourage him and, and counsel him on some things and so um, uh, these these things of, of life have just been on the forefront of my mind recently and how how God's grace and mercy is just woven through every aspect of my life and I look at a young couple like that and 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 we I just don't understand God you've got a reason and a purpose for this but I don't I don't understand I don't understand a lot of things about why God does what he does and how he acts the way he acts but if it's anything that I understand when I pick up this book and read it and it's how grace-filled and generous God is with everything and so in that, God is generous, and Jesus was very generous with his time here. Even his silence was generous to the woman, to the crowd, and even to the Pharisees. It was a moment for them to, to hopefully cool off, to give them a chance to reflect on what they were really doing, even though they were not going to take that chance, and Jesus knew that. It was the opportunity for them, it was grace to them even to, to take a moment to think about what they were doing to give them the opportunity to respond differently. And it was grace to them to allow them to walk away. And so I hope that we do. I hope that we do in tumultuous times and good times that we take moments to understand how generous God is, how undeserving of the things that he gives us are. And so with that, let me, let me wrap up with a couple of things um, to go that God is generous, that, um, and I've said it, but I just want to write it as well, that Jesus's love and his mercy are greater than we can hope or imagine or <laughs> imagine and here's why because our hearts are worse than we think That sounds like, uh, I'll just say believe even. Probably should have started with that one because that's kind of the bad news following the good news. But the good news is that it's greater than that his love exceeds the, the depravity of our hearts. And so when we think about, again, going back to God's wisdom, and the world's. So, um, that is really bad handwriting. 
So what we see here is a couple of things. Is that the world will disregard truth. We've seen that already as we've talked about how the Pharisees responded to Nicodemus, um, how they responded to the temple guards. So temple guards. Now remember, the temple guards, they'd be in the temple, right? They're guarding the temple. So they've heard the Pharisees. They've heard the scribes. They've heard all the rabbis, the teachers come through the temple. They've heard them all. (laughs) And so maybe understand a little bit why the Pharisees are offended (laughs) when the guards go, we've never heard anyone teach. Like, you guys don't teach like this. Like, it's like... Uh, how dare you say that of, of me? And so, again, you see in chapter 7, um, let's see, they say, uh, guard said, why don't you bring him? No one ever spoke the way this man does. You mean he's deceived you also? Have any of the rulers, Pharisees, believed in him? That mob knows nothing of the law, they're cursed. So they're disregarding truth even though they weren't really there at the time to hear it. But God is truth. I thought about saying he exemplifies truth. He's the essence. He just, he just is. It's, it's who he is. He is truth. So the second thing the world will do is accuse. They come in, they, they bring a woman, and they accuse. But God And Jesus, in the end, forgives. The world, humanity, despises. But Jesus loves. The world condemns. The Pharisees had already doled out the punishment. But Jesus shows mercy, again, not only to the woman, but also to the Pharisees. And so, lots, much has been made about what did Jesus write? Like, what did he, what did he stoop down to write? And we don't know if it was important, and was it, if it were important, if it were beneficial if it were necessary for us to know, we would know. It would be in Scripture. But it's not necessary for us to know. It's just necessary for us to know that He did. And so that in itself was the moment of mercy for her, for the Pharisees, for all who were there. And what we see is this, is that after this passage, after He has let the woman go, Jesus continues teaching. And you see that even more come to know Him. But in the end, Jesus says, this is at the very end of of chapter 8, in verse 58. Jesus says, Verily I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone Him. But Jesus hid Himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus really is the focal point of the stoning. 
That is the one that they're after. And for him to say before Abraham was born, I am, meant uh, very much to the Pharisees. That would have been the moment of, of comparing himself to God. Because it was God who in the Old Testament said, I am. But if God, if Jesus really is truth, then what he says is true, and the world, because it, it operates by the spirit of this world, does not understand it. And so this morning, maybe, um, maybe you feel like somebody in this story. Maybe you feel like the woman um, who has been singled out. Maybe you walk into a church every week or for the first time in a long time or the first time ever. Know that Jesus is truth, but he is also love and mercy and forgiveness. And so, um, so as we look at who he is, as we um, come to this time where we continue on in worship this morning, may we embrace and understand that, that as bad as our hearts is, his love and his grace and his mercy is more. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. Jesus, we thank you for um, for your mercy and for your grace that um, that it is constant that it never runs out and so as much as we go to this world to fill us as much as we seek pleasure as much as we seek um items of worship apart from you as much as we seek the wisdom of this age Father remind us again that all those things will leave us empty that all those things will eventually disappoint but you are constant and good through it all And so, Father, as we sing one more song this morning, that you be the focus of it all, that we would take this time to make you the center of our lives and the thing that we commit ourselves to, because you were better You are better than the things that we chase after and pursue. So may we fall time and time again on your grace and mercy, seeking you above all things, and that you would receive the glory for it all. In your name we pray.